This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Happy Tuesday, everyone. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, um, questions about the crazy things that are going on in this world right now. Whatever's on your heart and mind, all you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. If you um, want to email a question to us, you can email questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the hands-free feature of your phone by using the KSLR app. It is also free. Um, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is 340-9585. I don't really have a lot to talk about today, so we'll get right to questions and we would appreciate your calls. Oh, I just got, this is our last show in March. Crazy. March just started and here we are already. Tomorrow is my day, April Fool's Day. Here's a question, Anonymous. How can I deal with lust? I pray continually, but still feel controlled by it. Um, Anonymous, um, our our Bible says that we're to flee from sexual immorality. Um, if, If we're going to overcome lust, temptations, um, then we gotta run the opposite direction from it. I think too many of us, we try to play around with it. I can promise you that, that you probably are walking around with a cell phone connected to pornography. Um, You've you, you got to do whatever it takes to flee from, run in the opposite direction from your temptations regarding lust. Um, the other thing you need to do, and this is where I'm going to ask you to really combine faith. We've got all these wonderful promises of God, but they don't have any value for us unless we combine those promises of God with faith. It was the reason the, uh, the Israelites in the Exodus wilderness perished. They had the promises of God, but they didn't combine those promises with faith. Romans 12 says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, we have to know how to think new. We've got to spend time in the Word of God. That's the only source of renewing renewing our mind. And if you want to make it new, it's just got to be something you to believe. God's given you that 
opportunity. He's given you all the information you need. He's made these wonderful promises. And the question is, do you believe them enough to possess them as your own? Paul writes that sin shall no longer be our master. It means that we're no longer controlled by sin. It means that you don't have to give in to sin. And I, I'm, I'm suspecting, I don't know who you are, so I'm not judging you, but I'm suspecting that, like a lot of people in situations like this, your prayer is, God, deliver me from this lust. And that's not his job. He's already done that on the cross. The enemy is going to keep bringing in lust. You've got to be re- get real about the, the, the nature of this fight. The enemy's always going to be there. You've given him all those buttons to push. And because you have, he's going to keep pushing them. And while we'd all like the devil to go away, he won't. Pushing buttons is his job. Trying to get us to fall is his job. So you got to deal with lust like it's the biggest enemy in your life. you got to get away. If you got to stop carrying a cell phone, you've got to get off computers. Whatever the source of fulfilling your temptations might be, you've got to run away from those things. When you run away from those things, then you're running to Jesus. So that's how important this whole battle is. But you've got to truly believe that you've already been delivered from it. God has left this temptation in your life because he knows you can beat it. So you beat it by thinking about Jesus, not thinking about the things of lust. You turn to the Word of God instead of the things that you turn to when you're tempted. Remember, a child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, cannot be controlled by anything else. We can give in to it. And these things truly become a, a habit pattern. If your lust is being dealt with with pornography, then, then pornography gives the enemy an opening to destroy us. And it messes not only with our, our mind, but it messes with our, our psyche in the sense that it changes who we are and the way we view things. So you got to deal with it. you got to let Jesus do the fighting for you. you got to believe the promises that he's made. And you got to find an outlet for your thought life. And that only outlet is in the Word of God. You've got to learn to hate this sin so much that whenever the temptation comes, you recognize it for who it comes from, the enemy. You've got to recognize it as something that wants to own you, to destroy you. But you can own it by the power of God's Spirit. And there's no in-between. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. I mean, he didn't mean that literally, anonymous. But he meant that's how forcefully we have to deal with sin. So don't just pray continually. God, take this away from me. Instead, recognize that he already has and begin worshiping him because he has. Begin living as though you really believe those promises. The more you think about your lust, the more tempted you're going to be to give in to it. So let him have his way in your life. 
Here is a question from Carl. Now, I said I, I actually went to this one yesterday, and they said I'm going to bring come back to it for a moment uh, today, just because um, um, I want to be sure. It was right at the end of the program yesterday, and I didn't know in the time. Carl's question was: If someone believes in Jesus but doesn't repent of their sins, are they really saved? And what I said yesterday, in a very, very few, not even a minute was repentance is the first word of the gospel. To be saved, you've got to repent. So, believing in Jesus without repentance is just acknowledging who He is. Nobody gets saved that way. You've got to, you, you to believe in who He is, and if you believe that He's really the Son of God, who is also God the Son, then you've got to respond to Him as though He's the one who's really in, cho- in, in control of your life. So I can say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but if I'm not living like I believe in Jesus, there's no saving value. Jesus said on the day of judgment, he will say, and he was talking in context about religious leaders. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, who are you? Depart from me, for I never knew you. So, Carl, there is no salvation that doesn't come through repentance. Even the first step of salvation, believing in Jesus, requires us to turn to him which means we have to turn away from our sins. We've got to admit that we're sinners who need a Savior. So the man or the woman who says, well, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but they're living in an ungodly lifestyle. Paul writes to the churches in in Corinth and also the churches in Galatia. He said that people who live like this, and he lists this, this, this horrible list of sins, People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we can't soften that. We can't take that, those two clear verses and make them say anything other than what they say. So if somebody said to me, Pastor Ron, I believe in Jesus, and they're living with somebody they're not married to, they're living an ungodly lifestyle, they're doing drugs, they're getting drunk, they're, they're continually losing their temper. They, they, they use foul language, whatever it is. I'm going to tell them, somebody who's saved doesn't live like you are. What makes you think you're saved? And I wouldn't say that in a judgmental way or in a challenging way. I want them to really have to deal with the answer to the question, why do you think you're saved? Well, because I answered an altar call or because I got baptized. None of that matters. What matters is, has he changed your heart? And if he's changed your heart, and make no mistake, everybody who comes to Jesus and believes, really believes, their heart has changed. If he changes your heart, you can't continue to sin. So, Carl, they've got to repent. Let me add one other element to this. Um, Carl, most of the time, the questions that I struggle with regarding this are people who have walked with the Lord for a long period of time and appear to have been really saved, but then all of a sudden they turn away. Over our years here, we've had people who served the Lord, we thought, faithfully and fruitfully, and then would later just turn away and, and, and give themselves over completely to a lifestyle that would suggest they've never met Jesus. Now, I don't know their heart. Only God does. But as Christians, we're commanded to judge behavior and send out warnings. And anybody who comes to me and says, well, I, I'm a believer, but I'm in this sin. 
I'm going to tell him. What makes you think? Why do you think you're a believer? What about your life makes you think you're really a believer? And those are questions that we've got to ask ourselves honestly. That's why Paul says to examine ourselves every day to see whether or not we're really and truly in the faith. So repentance is necessary. And if someone has been a believer for a long period of time or so they they claim, um, then um, my question would be, well, what happened? I mean, I want them to have to deal with their sin. So, Carl, I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Stephanie from our mobile app. What is your opinion on people who are going about their lives right now without fear? Going to the store without masks, still seeing their friends, not big gatherings, still having small play dates. Is it wrong or am I being too relaxed about this? Also, can you give any ideas on how we could fellowship during this time? Stephanie, let me deal with the the last question first. Uh, I'm not a techie, so I don't know, but, but I know a lot of our people are using Zoom um, uh, Paula's fingers are busier than they've ever been uh, texting people. She's actually calling people and talking to them. I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities to fellowship. It's just going to be different. FaceTime, um, Skype. Um, I, I think if you make it your uh, mission to sort of you take the initiative to check on people, you call them. Tell them, I've been praying for you. How are you doing? I want to be sure everything's okay. I think that sort of forces fellowship, and I think it's a really, really um, a good thing to do. Um, our, our youth, I just found out this morning that... Uh, I just found out this morning that our youth have been like mad texting our, our youth pastor and our junior high school pastor saying, hey, can we get together for Bible study? So they're setting up um, small groups, uh, to not, not to be in person, but to, but to do the Bible studies virtually, to do them online. And, um, uh, you know, I think there's all kinds of things. We had a, a caller here um, yesterday or Monday, I can't remember, Monday was yesterday, uh, about uh, uh, giving an update on his Bible study that um, they're getting together online and, and things are working out really, really well. So I think it's really important to remain in fellowship. I think, Stephanie, if you will take the initiative to sort of force the issue, the Lord will truly bless your attempts to get together with people. Now, regarding people who are going about their lives now without fear, and by that you defined as going to store without masks and still seeing their friends uh, in small groups, um, having small play dates. Um, I'm not sure what you mean. Is it wrong or am I being too relaxed about this? Um, uh, I don't know if you're you're one who is going about your life without fear. Um, um, I, all I can do, Stephanie, is tell you what's going on in my life. I'm not afraid of this. Um, you know, I think so often, especially when it comes to things regarding our health, um, we try to spin grace God isn't given yet. You know, if I contract this virus um, I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say but but Lord I, I was ministering to your people 
And if I'm too afraid to do that, I had somebody call me today and ask, well, are you seeing people? I don't want to put you at risk, but, but I need, well, of course I'm seeing people. Um, the job doesn't stop. The mission of Christians doesn't stop. And I absolutely um, have no fear of this. Now, I don't want to get it. I'm not a, a, a being courageous or anything. I'm, I'm not a brave guy. I, I, but but I, I can't let what's going on in this world keep me from doing what God has called me to do. Uh, I do not wear a mask. I, I, I get really claustrophobic uh, with things around my face. Um, I'm still seeing a few small people face-to-face because there's small groups around the church uh, who are doing... We've got a school that's going. Now, the school is is going virtual, but some teachers are recording their lessons from here, uh, and I'll see them. Um, And again, we're we're complying with the law. Um, uh, Still having play dates. Uh, We're going to have communion here Sunday, for people in the parking lot, and and uh, we always do communion on the first day of the month. And um, our, our usher ministry had uh, he and his wife are going to bring their children. Their children want to serve, so they're going to stay outside and kind of serve, sort of drive up communion to people who come up. We've got some crazy people here. They want to come up and and be at the church, so they're watching live stream while they're in their car in front of the church building, well, we're going to give them an opportunity to partake of communion. We, we don't think we're putting anybody in jeopardy in doing that. And the leaders of our, our usher ministry, their, their kids are gung-ho to go, and, and they're not afraid of it either. So uh, I, I just don't think we ought to be driven by fear. That does not mean, Stephanie, that we shouldn't be wise. It doesn't mean that we... we are so strong in our faith that we're not afraid. It's just that we don't give in to our fear. And I think that's the most important thing I would say to you, Stephanie. Just don't give in to your fear. Lay it down to the feet of Christ and then follow the leading of the Lord. Nobody would blame you if you're um, really, really cautious. Um, But the truth is, life goes on. I know people don't like to hear that. But life goes on, and as long as we're avoiding large groups, which limits our ability to be infected, then we're not representing a danger to others. So, Stephanie, I hope that makes sense to you, and thank you for your your question, and I am going to do my best to keep praying for you as well. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Reuben calling from Seguin. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron, and uh, uh, if I may... Uh, say something to Stephanie. Stephanie, I will definitely be praying for you as well. I don't know you, but I heard the whole thing that Pastor Ron just spoke to you, and I want to tell you, you have to just put your faith completely, just surrender completely and totally your faith, put it in God, and just know that Psalms 91 says that there were no there there will be no evil befall you nor no plague will come to your dwelling and he will charge his angels concerning you we have to believe and just know that God is going to protect us and if we do get sick and if it just happens we are in this we have to understand that we are in this flesh we are in this 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 body that's not going to go to heaven it's our spirit, and this body is susceptible to the diseases of this world. And unfortunately, this coronavirus is a serious thing, but we have, like Pastor
Sharon says we have to be wise and we have to obey the laws of the land, but we also have to know that there is a great God that is watching out for us. Yeah, Ruben, let me let me add something to that for for Stephanie and anybody else who's out there. Uh, what, what Ruben reads, the, the Psalm ninety one doesn't mean that we're not going to get the virus. Um, a, a friend of mine uh, was a pastor at this church and moved back to Brooklyn to to plant a church. His wife uh, evidently has the virus and is 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 dealing with symptoms. It doesn't mean that we're not going to get it. But what it means is that Jesus will be with us while we're there. And when you're listening to Reuben say these things, this is a man who is as physically compromised as, as anybody that, uh, that we talk to on this program. But he's learned in his afflictions to trust the Lord. You know, Reuben, one of the things that uh, I've, I've been thinking about is if, if um, suddenly everybody said, okay, you can go back to church this weekend, you can have Easter Sunday, I'm wondering how many people would be too afraid to go. And, and I think that's where we've got to really work. That moment when, when we're permitted to walk again in freedom and resume life uh, as normally as we possibly can, um, that's when we really have to worry about, okay, am I going to believe it or am I going to let fear keep me um, stable in, 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 in place? And that's always a dangerous place to be. Okay, yes. Ruben, what's on your heart today? Uh, actually, I just had a question. Uh, as you know, I've been reading the Bible again, and I got to Psalms 140. Now, when I, I read it, I had to read it over a couple of times because I, I think I may have taken it out of context like several times. Um, are you familiar off the top of your head with Psalms 140? Yeah, I'm looking at it, Ruben. I'm laughing okay. with you because we, we often take the Psalms out of context. <laughs> well, okay, when I first read it, I was like, whoa, this is, and I, I don't know if it was David's Psalm or whose Psalms it was, but I said, wow, this is a man who's like either really upset at what's going on and everyone that's, that's messing with him and, and everything that's going on in his life that he's literally asking God to, to like, you know, hey, you, you know, destroy these people, these people that are just messing with me. Um, did I take that out of context? Was it, did it come from a place of, I don't want to say hatred, but it, what's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know the word, but did it come from a, not a dark place, but from a place that, you know, he or he shouldn't have been, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just because of what um, it said. Yeah. This is this is a Psalm of David. And, and and one of the things I think that we've got to really understand is this whole thing of fear. David was uh being chased by by Saul. Um he spent ten years running in the caves. Trouble seemed to be everywhere around him later in his life, and we're not exactly sure. Uh, when this psalm was written, but later in his life, he was running away from Absalom, his own son, and people were carrying out plots against him. And um, uh, he's feeling like a fugitive. And in this particular case, he's just praying as you and I would for deliverance. And while David was a brave man, a man who trusted the Lord, he's also a man who who um, who had to deal with with the reality of his flesh. And in David's case, knowing he was called by God, most likely, I think this is, is when he was running from, from King Saul. 
Uh, he could never get away. He's running from place to place. His life was very, very hard. And uh, this would be the prayer that you and I would pray. Lord, I don't know why they're coming against me. I'm innocent in this matter. Deliver me from evil men. And um, when he's talking about they continually gather together for war, they sharpen their tongues like a serpent, uh, the poison of asses under their lips. He, he says, they're talking about me and I didn't do anything. And he's asking God to vindicate him. He's asking God to deliver him. I think another psalm that you can look at, um, um, Reuben, is, is Psalm 84, um, okay. where David just, David just cries out uh, in the same circumstances. You know, um, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. This is a man who really wants to be in the presence of God, and yet this, this persecution, this enemy is keeping him on the run. So he can't be in the temple. He can't be, or not in the temple, but he can't be uh, in the place where the sacrifices are being made. He wants to be uh, with God and his fellowship is broken by circumstances. I think, by the way, Psalm 84 is a great psalm for those of us now. We want to be in church. We can't be in church and we miss it. Uh, and, and it's just a cry of longing I'd rather be with you for one minute of one day than yeah. be uh, uh, anywhere else for a thousand years. And I think that's all it is. David's suffering under the pressure um, of evil. Um, the, 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 the presence of Saul is always hovering over him. And so David does what, what we would all do. He just cries to the Lord. Reuben, thank you very, very thank much you. for your call. Mm-hmm. We've got 30 minutes left in today's program. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, 340-9585 or 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes left in our show, 340-9585. Here's a question from Arlene. Uh, my pastor says praying in the Spirit means to pray in tongues. Is that right? Uh, Arlene, that is completely wrong. Not only is it not right, it's completely wrong. Um, now, I want to make clear here that when you are praying in tongues under the unction of the Holy Spirit, you're praying in the Spirit. But that's not what it means that we're to pray in the Spirit at all times or in all occasions, depending on your translation. Um, praying in the Spirit is praying in the will of God, praying for the heart of God. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't exclude the fact that we're praying in tongues, but as you've seen in your church, if that's what your pastor teaches, Arlene, there's a whole bunch of times when people who have nothing to do with the Spirit of God are praying in tongues. It's just sort of yabba-dabba-doo instead of really, really using the gift that God has given. So please, uh, you're, you're in what would appear to be a, an unbalanced church when it comes to the gifts. Um, 
Um, I, I have the gift of tongues, so I'm a big fan. However, um, that's not what praying in the Spirit at all times means. Uh, praying in the Spirit means praying in the will of God for the glory of God. So Arlene, thank you very, very much for that question. Let's go to, let me see, Arabella on line one from San Antonio. Arabella, thanks for calling. You're on the radio. Well, hi, Pastor. This is Terry. Arabella is in the back seat, and uh, she was listening to the program, and she wanted to say something to you. Okay. I want to hear her. Yeah. There you go. Here, Arabella. That's Pastor Ron on the phone. Hi, Arabella. Hi, Arabella. How are you doing? Yes. I miss you. I miss you too. Oh, good, sweetie. Uh huh. I just listened on the radio to you, and I wanted to tell. I I uh I. So I wanted to tell you something. Okay, what do you want to tell me? Uh, I said you're the best teacher at church. <laughs> About thank you. My papa and everyone. Oh, thank you, Arabella. I can't wait to see yeah. you and give you a hug again. And also, I listen to you on the radio. Oh, thank you, honey. I love you. I love you, too. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Terry, I... Bye, Arabella. Hey. When, when Arabella's... Hey. Terry, hey. Terry, when yeah. Arabella's name... Go ahead. When Arabella's name went up, I was expecting to hear this cute voice, and I got your old gruff voice. <laughs> That's right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I... You know, I was sitting there, she says, can I tell him something? I wanted to tell him he's the best pastor and best teacher, and she listens to a lot of these <laughs> programs. She listens to you every day, and you don't think people are listening, little ones or big ones. Believe me, yeah. the board doesn't go out void. It's amazing. Yeah. So, well, thank you. Well, thank you for letting her call, Terry. Thanks. Okay. You have a good one. See you, guys. you stay safe. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Arabella is a beautiful little girl who hasn't always had the best hand dealt to her in life and she's just kept her eyes on Jesus and she's just doing wonderful so it's really good to uh, to hear from you Arabella here's a question from Steve he says my church does everything by hearing God's voice and following how can I be sure to hear his voice especially when I don't know if it's him or me now, Steve, I'm not exactly sure what you mean by your church does everything by hearing God's voice and following. Now, if they're listening for God's voice in the Word of God, then that's really, really a good thing. But if you're talking about, and here's what I suspect, there are churches who, they, you know, they have prophets that tell you what to do, or people that call themselves apostles that tell you what to do, and they sort of wait on God and they get a word from the Lord. That's a really, really unhealthy dangerous church to be in. The truth is, Steve, we can never be sure a hundred percent whether something is of God or something is is uh, something we kind of thought up in our own mind. 
And the reason we can't is because we're humans. We're fallible. The Word of God is infallible. And what you need to do is really learn to hear the voice of God. Again, it's not going to happen apart from you being in the Word. But please, Steve, don't let anybody else speak to you for God. If you're in a church where somebody's saying, thus saith the Lord, or God gave me a word, or God told me this, or God told me that, really, really, that's a bad church. Get out of that church. God knows you. He loves you. He will speak to you. But you've got to get to know Him, and the only way we can do that is in the Word. And then, so I don't shake everybody else up out in the, in the audience, then as you really get to know Him, then you're going to be able to discern those things that he speaks to your heart. Now, I, I can't put exact percentages on it, but if I would give you an about percentage, I'd say 95% of the time that God speaks to us, he does so in his word. And we have no problem or should have no problem discerning that that's him. We, he, he said it, we believe it, and so then we obey. But as we are obeying and we're walking with the Lord, then the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. And the the rest of that time, the the other 10% of the time, God's going to speak to your heart. And Steve, this is confusing to people, but it's really important. We have to learn that it's okay to be wrong. You know, as I believe God's spoken in my heart many, many times. I've taken steps of faith and, and pursued him, and, and God was right there. If it wasn't his will, he'd stop me. Remember in the book of Acts, Paul wanted to go into Asia Minor. Uh, that's the churches where Ephesus is. That's modern-day Turkey now. Um, because the, the gospel hadn't been preached there, and three times the Spirit stopped him. Now, he knew he had the, the heart of God in going, but God was the one governing the timing. So three times he stopped him. Finally, a great door of effective ministry was open, and he walked right through it. And there have been times when I really thought the Lord had spoken something in my heart, and because my heart was right with God, he protected me from doing the wrong thing. But it's always a very inexact science when we're listening for a voice. There's so many um, influences out there. That's why John says in First John chapter 4, verse 1, that we're to test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. And we have a tendency, I think, Steve, to, to well, I'm a Christian, God loves me, so whatever I hear is from God. No, we got to test the spirits. God won't tell you something speaking to your heart that contradicts what he's already revealed to you in his word. So if I'm right about your church and you've got people speaking for God to you, you're in an, an unhealthy church. You're in a place of danger. Don't let anybody... Accept the Lord, lead you and guide you. At the beginning, when we're brand new Christians and our faith is baby faith, we take baby steps. And God is very protective of his babies, so what he'll do is you take it one step, ask you to do something, and he'll be there to protect you. But as you are obedient, you'll learn to discern the voice of God, and you will know. And I'll tell you, Steve, there's nothing. I've been walking with the Lord for 29 years. I've heard his voice, again, not audibly, nothing strange is going on, but I've heard his voice, and we've taken huge, huge steps of faith that have been right in the middle of his will, and we've seen him be faithful. 
But as an example, this morning when I was out walking, just talking to him, wanting to hear from him, there were some things rattling around in my brain that I'm not sure were from him at all. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. God wants to teach us to trust him. And what's kind of strange is that I've found in my own walk, the more I walk with the Lord, the less I hear, specifically regarding my day-to-day life. He kind of expects us to grow and walk in what we know, walking by faith rather than by sight, or in this case, Steve, uh, walking by, well, he said this. I'm sure he said it. A lot of times you're going to be wrong. Don't worry about that. When you're wrong, if your heart's right, God will protect you. Hope that makes sense. Dana wants to ask, did Jesus enable alcoholism by turning water into wine? Dana, no. I think one of the things that we have to do when we're reading the Gospels, and the same thing is true when we're reading the Bible and the Old Testament as well, but we, we can't impose upon an ancient culture 21st century standards. Uh, if I went to a wedding and said, free alcohol for everybody, free wine, um, you know, I would be um, potentially harming some of the people that were there. Things weren't the same then as they are now. Uh, water was bad in that culture, and wine was a staple at dinner. Wine was a staple. Uh, Paul told Timothy to take wine for his stomach uh, because he had some physical issues there. So, no. Um, Dana, the other thing to to consider when you are are contemplating these things, and I've seen so many people over the years really get freaked out by why would Jesus turn something good like water into something evil like like wine? Um, We have to remember Jesus, who he was. He was perfect, and he was without sin. Would Jesus do anything with even a, a hint of evil in it? The answer to that question, of course, is no. Jesus was making a point. It was the sort of the inauguration of his ministry in earnest. It was time to go. It was interesting because at the wedding in Cana, he told his mother, woman, why are you asking me? My, my hour has not yet come. And evidently it was at that very moment the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, yes, it has. And that's when Mary walked away and she said, do whatever he says to the servants. So no, Jesus didn't enable alcoholism. There was nothing wrong with wine um, then or now, in fact, if people don't drink to excess. Uh, but no, Jesus was not enabling anybody, nor was he doing anything with even a hint of sin. If from the wedding of Cana, you get stuck on the wine issue, the alcohol issue, you're missing the whole point of that story being included in your Bible. Here is an anonymous question. It said, uh, Pastor Ron, you said that Paul was angry when he wrote to the Corinthians. If you are right, he was in sin. Um, he was angry. Um, um, the First Corinthians was a letter of correction, a letter of rebuke. He was angry, but here's what you got to understand. Anger in and of itself is not sin. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. So there's a thing as righteous anger, and believe me, Paul's anger was righteous anger. 
And that whole first letter, he's scolding them. Now, when we get to the second letter to the Corinthians, written six months later, Paul is concerned about how they responded to his harsh letter. And he said, you know, when I wrote to you, I wrote with deep anguish and with many tears. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians, you don't feel the anguish of the tears. It just sounds like he's scolding them. But he was being direct, and he was being direct in love. So yes, he was angry, but it was righteous anger. By the way, Anonymous, Jesus was angry a lot. He overturned the money changers' tables, not once, but twice. Read his discourse to the religious leaders as the end of his ministry is approaching. You snakes, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. Jesus was angry, but of course his anger was righteous. Now, as humans, we have to be a lot more careful because, well, let's just say when we're angry, we're less righteous than certainly Jesus was and and even less than Paul was. So it's not an anger, or it's not a sin to be angry. What we have to do is protect against sinning in our anger, and that changes everything completely. So, Anonymous, that's my response. Deborah says, I know the Bible says we shouldn't be afraid, but I'm really afraid of this pandemic. How can I manage my fear? Deborah, um, first of all, don't feel guilty about being fearful. Jesus said, don't be afraid, and what he's telling us to do is don't give in to that fear. We're all afraid. His disciples, the apostles later, they were afraid. His mother was afraid. The, the, the women um, at the tomb, they were all afraid. That's just part and parcel of the human condition. To manage your fear, you got to keep remembering who's in control of things. Let me also add that especially in light of this coronavirus pandemic, We've got to wait to be afraid until we have something to be afraid of. I say that often to people here at the church. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to get cancer. I'm afraid I'm going to get this. Or I'm afraid my kids are going to run off and, and, and run away from the Lord. I'm afraid. Well, well, you know, your child has not done it yet. Don't be afraid of those things that haven't happened yet. When bad things happen, in fact, when all things happen, when you need grace, God will have grace available for you. But there's no grace for something that hasn't happened yet. And I think recognizing that is how to manage your fear. In the book of Joshua, three times in two verses, God tells Joshua, do not be afraid. Be strong, be courageous. Don't look to the left or the right. Three times he says that same thing. Now, he only said it to him because Joshua was afraid. So manage your fear the way Joshua did. Simply set your heart and your mind on doing whatever it is God told you to do. And when you do that, he'll be pleased and you'll know he is. Specifically regarding this pandemic, This is one of the things that we have to remember always, that there's no expectation that we're not going to get afflicted. But we know that His grace is sufficient, and when and if we do, we know that His presence will be with us. 
I think a lot of times, Deborah, our the source of our fear is, well, what if God doesn't answer my prayers? Well, Christians aren't an exception to the things that happen to people in this world. So you keep giving your fear to the Lord. Don't wait till you're no longer afraid. Just say, okay, Lord, I'm afraid. Be honest. Be real. Lord, I'm afraid, but I'm not going to stop serving you. Now, Deborah, I don't know if you've ever heard me say this. I say this a lot more to my church in person than I do on this radio program. But honestly, I live my life in fear every day. Every day. What I do is a fearful thing. I think it's the fear of God that's a good kind of fear. I don't want to embarrass him. I don't want to bring shame to his name. Um, if I'm wrong about a step of faith, then we've got all kinds of difficult issues that we're going to have to deal with. But see, Jesus is the one who's got me. And so every day, I get out of bed, and I say this, Jesus, today of my own free will, I choose to serve you. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And then, Deborah, I stick out my hand. And I say, Lord, because I trust you, I offer my hand to you, I take your hand in faith, hold me close to you. And then I add another element, because Paul is always, we're one flesh, I stick my left hand out and I take her hand, figuratively, she's not usually with me on those walks or when I'm out running. And I'll say I take Paula's hand, and we will not let go until you bless us. Until we finished our course together. So that's what you do in the middle of this fear. Now, I recognize, Deborah, that there are some who are much more afraid of physical issues than others. Nobody wants to get sick, but he'll be with you. He'll be with you. I didn't listen to it today, Deborah, but um, here's a suggestion for you. Uh, go to YouTube. I just saw it when I was looking for something else. Uh, but today there was uh, um, released um, a short video by Johnny Erickson Tata. And I promise you, whatever she has to say, whatever she has to say will encourage you in this matter of fear. So Johnny Erickson Tata, and you'll be blessed. I'm confident of that, Deborah. Thanks very much. And you're not alone in this fear, so just hang in there. Give it to Jesus. 340-9585. Uh, Greg says, what can I do when I apologize to somebody and they didn't accept it? Well, Greg, uh, as long as your apology was genuine and it wasn't one of those apologies like, well, if I did this, I'm sorry. If I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. Those are cheap, non-apology apologies. When you've blown it, you just go to somebody and you say, I'm so sorry I blew it. I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. I'm sorry. And if they don't accept it, well, they're the one that's still bound, not you. As far as it depends on you, make peace with all men, the Bible says. So, uh, Greg, you've done your part. 
Just make sure it was a real apology. If it wasn't, then try it all over again. But make sure that um, your heart is clean before God, your conscience is clear, and let God deal. Pray for the person who won't accept it, and let God deal with him or with her. You know, we can do our best, but the truth of the matter is there's only so much we can do if somebody's unwilling to accept it. We're in less now than, yeah, um, I'm producing uh, out of spell for Deborah, Johnny, Erickson, Tata, J-O-N-I, E-A-R-E-C-K-S-O-N-T-A-D-A. And I think there's a, it's hyphenated last name, so Erickson hyphen Tata. But if you just put Johnny Erickson, it'll come up. And it's one that just was released today. A little over three minutes. Here's a question I can do from Gail. Did Jesus eat meat? Of course he did, Gail. Jesus didn't eat unclean food. He didn't eat bacon. He didn't eat pork. But, but yeah, Jesus ate meat. And I am assuming that you're asking the question because um, we have some pretty radical people saying, no, Jesus wouldn't have eaten meat. Jesus would have been a vegetarian. In the beginning, that was designed for everybody to eat plants, eat fruit. Uh, it would have been absolutely delicious and we all would have lived forever, but we, we ruined that with the fall. And Jesus declared all food clean. Acts chapter 10, he declared all food clean. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, I've never had anything that wasn't kosher past these lips. Peter, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. So there's nothing wrong with eating meat. Jesus would have eaten meat. Um, and you can eat meat as well. I think I have time for one question. Gino says, How long was Joseph in prison, and why didn't God rescue him? Yeah, I've got two minutes. Okay. Uh, Gino, Joseph was in prison, we know, for at least two years. Now, we don't know exactly how long, but it was two years when the, the, the cup bearer was released and didn't come back. Um, he was supposed to remember Joseph and, and, and get him out, um, but, but he forgot. When two years had passed, then he remembered again. So we know he's in prison for more than two years. We don't know how much longer than two years. The reason God didn't rescue him is because, as awful as it sounds, prison was God's plan for Joseph at that moment. God was preserving and preparing Joseph for something that nobody could have possibly imagined. Joseph would be the second most powerful man in the world, the prime minister of Egypt. And Joseph suffered. He was unfairly charged with things that he didn't do. But you also remember, Gino, that over and over in prison it says, and Joseph found favor. So as bad as his circumstance was, he found favor even there. And one fateful hour, it all changed in a minute. He was before Pharaoh. And the life of the world would be changed from that point forward. So Joseph was in prison. God didn't rescue him because he doesn't always rescue us from unfair things. But the story of Joseph indicates God intended for good what men meant for evil. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Stay safe. But remember, Jesus is there. He'll talk to you. Get in the Word. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then.
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I'm the word to stand on.